did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Most people I've spoken to have strong opinions about Patrick Sumner. We all knew he was guilty. I think he knows something. I think he got off lucky. But I don't really know him. But for the cops to have somebody, there had to have been some kind of evidence or... He knew something. And John and some members from the GIS team would come in and look out these windows with binoculars and keep watching Patrick Sumner, who they figured was the person, and let him know that they were watching him. And it just got to be tunnel vision. They had overlooked things that they shouldn't have. And this is where they were concentrating their resources was on this one person. Trevor, too, has had his opinions about Sumner, but now feels it's the right time to set the record straight. We could probably go and try Sumner again as soon as we're done here. I'm going to hit some lights here, Dave, and roll a spliff. Dave, do you want a bottle of water or anything to drink? No, I'm good, thanks. Okay. Um, Have a seat, please. Trevor's obviously a bit nervous about the meeting. Roll a joint. So you want to go see if Mr. Sumner's home, eh? I think we probably should. Are you going to smoke that joint first? First? Yeah. Is that cool? Yep. Okay. It's up to you. It's your... Yeah, I'm going to go back. Your gig. Let's see if we can get Sumner here. Yeah, let's hope. I sometimes found myself thinking about us sitting here sneaking out Sumner's house that day, and then I thought about you sitting out here for six hours that morning by yourself. Yeah. That's how it goes. On the short ride across town, Trevor's anxieties expressed themselves in idle chatter. <laughs> Whenever I see a camper like that, I think of Yogi Bear. Why? Because of the the ones where he's like he comes crashing in through the fucking roof of the fucking camper, oh, yeah. and he's trying to get those picnic baskets, and the fucking woman starts hammering on his head with a cast iron pan. Ding 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 ding. Hilarious. Man, I used to laugh. All right, here we are. Let's go see if Patrick's home. All right. Oh yeah, thanks. Check, check, okay. This time, Patrick's mother, Rosalie Sumner, answers the door. Hello, hey, is Patrick here? I have talked to him before. Yeah, okay, hold on. Yep. 
Okay, oops, watch it. For you, Pat. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Just don't want the dog oh, it's work. okay. It's okay. I know he wants to get out. So, Patrick, I yeah, I, I brought Trevor, and I just wanted to see if you guys could chat for a bit. Yeah. Come on in, Trev. Yeah. Yep. So, Patrick, Trevor, you guys have never talked before. Never. We've never met, have we? No. Not once. How's it going, man? Not bad. Yeah. I never knew you. No, not me. Only time you would have ever seen me was in that courtroom. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I can, it's just bullshit. I it was bullshit over and over. Yeah. That's it. It's bullshit over and over. Like I said, nothing I could do. I cooperated. I did all I could do. You were being held in the paw, right? No, here. That was here. Here. Did, They're allowed to hold you here in this holding cells for three weeks. You never spent any time in the paw? Yeah, I did. But they're allowed to hold you here three weeks, even in a holding cell okay. under the law. So they did. How long were you in jail for? How long did they keep you in? They arrested you on the Thursday? Four months, 16 days, about 23 and a half hours. So after the prelim, <laughs> you were released in March? Yeah. End of February. Oh. End of February, March, yeah. yeah. Did they make you do a lie detector? No. Or did they ask no, you? No, I volunteered. I said, for sure, I go, why not? Okay. Yeah, I must have answered eight questions about 16 times. Rosalie is sitting on the top step, carefully watching the meeting unfold below. I take the opportunity to ask her a few questions. So did your mom, did you testify at the prelim as well then? No. They didn't? No. There's I no was, family I or was, nothing. Because anyone they subpoena wasn't allowed to be in court. Right. That's well, all of course. Testify, right? But no yeah. one was fucking called. Well, you never, you only never Curtis called. and Lindsay were the only two people I knew that were called. Hello. Oh, hi. Can I speak to Lindsay, please? This is. I was finally able to track down Lindsay Lang to ask him about what he remembers from that night. Oh, Lindsay, it's Dave Ridgen calling. I work for CBC Radio. Okay. Yeah, I'm working on the case of Carrie Brown, and I have interviewed Patrick Sumner and actually Claire Dubé quite a bit, and they spoke about you as being somebody who was with them or with Patrick on the night that Carrie disappeared. So I just wanted to ask you if you could talk to me a little bit about that. I'm in the middle of something right now. I can't talk right now. Okay, when's a good time? Uh, later on this evening or something. He promises me another call when he's less busy, but before he hangs up, I try to get a couple of questions in. Later on this evening? Okay, but yeah. uh, just one question though. You were with Patrick that night at some point, right? Like there was some point when you were with Patrick? Not really at night, it was during the day. Oh, okay. So you you don't recall being with Patrick on the night Carrie disappeared on that Thursday, October 16th? Not really at night, no. Okay. Okay, well, what time's good to, to call you? Uh, anytime after supper. Anytime after five. Okay. Sorry to disturb you now. I'll call you after supper. Thanks very much. All right. Okay. okay bye. Bye-bye. I called Lindsay back, but nobody answered the phone, and then for subsequent calls, We're sorry. The, the number simply stopped working. But I'd like more detail here, Lindsay, if you can call me back. If Lindsay Lang was not with Sumner the night Carrie disappeared, it tends to call that part of Sumner's alibi into question. Please try again. Thank you. Back to Sumner. You told me last time that your car wasn't on the road that night. There was no car anywhere near there. You weren't even in your car. Not my car, no. Yeah. No. And the 
As a matter of fact, Curtis and Lindsay and myself stopped for a beer at the Brentwood. I think it was uh, 8.30ish show. And your dad was there. So your dad actually even seen me that night. That's interesting. Later, I run this by Jim Brown. He says that he was definitely not at the Burntwood Strip Club that night. Jim's recollection of the evening was that he and Carrie's mother drove their car to a local garage and left it there to get some work done. They took a leisurely walk home, then settled in for the night, Jim filling out his hockey pool. Did you know Jim before? Well, I didn't uh, know him. Oh, so, oh. But now I know him. See him now after I know him. So I know I seen him there that night. Because I wasn't facing the stripper. <laughs> they were. Because <laughs> well, the tables right? only had two seats on each side, right? right? So Chris and Lindsay it. grabbed those, so my back was the stripper. Yeah. So his dad was off further over that way. Again, I'm not sure what to make of this. Mistaken identity, a mismemory on Jim's or Patrick's yeah. part, or something else. Another one of Sumner's alibis is sitting right next to us, so I returned to asking Rosalie about her recollections of that night. What time would you say you got home? Oh, God. On the Thursday or Friday morning? I can't remember, to be honest. I have it marked down somewhere, but I know it was later in the evening. Okay. Yeah. And he came home Because I was just making a snack to get ready for bed or something or other, and he come in and he was making a sandwich for his to eat or to take to work the next, to school the next day. I'm not sure which <laughs> anymore. But you were Patrick's alibi, is that? Yeah. That yeah. night? So Patrick was with you Toss that night. didn't care. Well, they're your parents. They don't count. It came up That eventually. was his exact words. They're your parents. They don't count. It was very hard. He can't, well, he can't get a job in town for one thing. At all. There's still people who think he's guilty. Did he you worked, work at the hospital? I worked at the hospital for 28 years. Wow. What department? I worked down in the kitchen and cafeteria. Oh, okay. Yeah. Trevor takes over the questioning asking Patrick Sumner things that he's been wondering for over 30 years. Were you familiar with where they found Carrie? Did you know about that stable road, that back access road, that hydro line? Were you familiar at all with that area? Well, growing up here, yeah, you know where it is, okay. but I mean, familiar? No. It wasn't a place that you frequented or anything? No, never just, went You were just there. aware that it was there. I think I went through there once, uh -huh. me and my friend in a truck. Right, just to check and it out. And he just went through the hydro line to back onto the road. Oh, okay. <laughs> just to see if he could get through with his truck. <laughs> but That's you, all it was. Do right? you think I would have Joy to be... riding? No, I wasn't there. Period. <laughs> not that evening. That's for sure. And not, not for a long time, I'm sure. I had no reason to go out that way. Yeah. I lived at the dump. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the other way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like on the highway all the time, yeah, to the dump. Did you freak out when they were arresting you? Like, I didn't do this, fuck, what's wrong with you? No, well, no. No. It was midnight. You were 22 yeah. at the time? Yeah. yeah, I was 16. I watch Trevor as he talks to Sumner. He's pretty good at this. Friendly, but trying to draw information from a man who's connected to him through tragedy forever, it seems. 
you weren't charged angry? me. They, you weren't angry, Pat? That they were accusing you of this. This is that's it. Oh, of course. But what are you going to do? Freak out. I did, but in my own way. And they just told him to do his job. Yeah. You didn't know Carrie either, right? Anyway, like she was younger, yeah. right? No. No, the younger crowd than mine. <laughs> and she had never been in your car as a lift or hitchhiking or anything? No. Or Did you ever drive by them at a bus stop? Do you ever remember driving by the yeah, girls? Yeah, some about that. I don't remember it, but it came up in court. Do you remember doing Another thing I want to ask Sumner is about a story I've heard from Carrie's friend, Rhonda Tennant. Before Carrie got murdered, Nicole... Carrie and I were waiting for the city bus, and Patrick Summer in his car drove by about three or four times. So when we went to court, that's what we were trying to explain. And how did you know it was Patrick Sumner that drove by three, three or four times? I think because like there was a, it was it was a gold or brown car or whatever. And then after she was murdered, a picture of him was shown. I don't know where it was shown, but then that made us think back of that's the guy that was driving that car. And then when we went to court, <coughs> Nicole and I, we testified, and uh, we were ripped apart, <coughs> and um, it was thrown out of court, which at that time was hard to believe because there was like 30 or 4 pieces of evidence. The what? defense lawyer was awful, yeah. He just kept, you know, like, and we were 15 at the time, right? So, but the defense lawyer kept saying, well, how do you know he drove by three times? How do you know he drove by six times? How do you know, you know, like he just... Honest, 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 honest. According to Rhonda, this incident was not entered into evidence because the girls couldn't be specific enough. It's circumstantial evidence at best and doesn't prove anything, but Sumner remembers doing it. So you're driving by looking at the girls kind of thing? Uh, I was driving by to my friends and I picked them up and I drove back down and gave my right to Eco. Sumner says the passenger in his vehicle was a man with long hair and that the three girls testified in court that he was female. He always had long hair. So whatever that girl was in court that said she thought it was a girl I picked up or whatever, because he was doing this with his hair out of his shirt, because <laughs> he was leaning against it on the seat. Stories like this one about Sumner have circulated around Thompson and area for years. Mixes of truth and fiction. For me, it doesn't go away. Mm. I don't know how it could for you, really, because no, the, police, the police really haven't been of any help. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Um, You maybe don't remember, but way, way back in the day, not long after Carrie's death, you were coming out of Chicken Chef with a friend, a girl I knew from uh, high school, but... uh, And I, he started yelling at you from a car, and I threatened. Probably didn't hear you. No, I was. What I said is, if I ever got my hands on you, I was going to kill you. And I wanted to. And, yeah, uh, I understand that. Yeah, well, I wanted to apologize for that, Pat. I, I, I did, and uh, okay. I'm sorry I did that to you. I um, appreciate that. I didn't actually hear you, so. Well, that's good. I'm glad you didn't. You didn't miss much. <laughs> the cops. Yeah, I'm still pissed at the cops from back in the day. 
So, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing I could do about it. I did all I could do. I cooperated so they could eliminate me as a suspect, but that's not what they did. Yeah. Obviously, I had no control of that. Hmm. Nor did you. No. 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 I've I've never been past this. And no. No. I've never. I don't have a family. I've never gotten married. I have no kids. I I have this. I've never moved past this. No, I get it. No. I get that. It's not over. No, it's not. It's not over. It's far from over. Chances are I'll be dead, and that's the only thing it'll be over before no. I get any clear answers. You think you'll be or dead before you get, get any clear answers? I'm optimistic. We're gonna have some before then. I hope so. I have to be. I have to be. Well, Trev, what do you think? It's rock and roll. Are you good? You satisfied? You have all the questions you needed to ask this guy, yeah. Mr. Sumner? Yeah. yeah. You can talk to me if you really want to. If you walk past me and I don't say hi, don't be surprised because it's probably I know. I've seen, seen you. Yeah, I've seen you a few times. Yeah. Oh, I, I know you can't see you well. Because I have tunnel vision, literal yeah. tunnel vision. Yeah. Take care, Trev. Yeah, you too, Pat. Thanks, man. No problem. <laughs> no problem, man. And with a hug of sorts, this first meeting between Trevor and Patrick is over. I will. I will. Thank you. You too. I'm glad I got that over. First time when we went to the house this morning, I was a bit nervous. Yeah. Remember I said it feels cold out here? Yeah. I had a bit of a shiver going on. I think of part of it was nerves. Yeah, probably. Body temperature drops when you get scared. I don't know. But I wasn't scared. I was just a bit nervous. I'm going to talk to you. It just hit me. I'm going to talk to you. And then I heard you knock and you went inside. So here we go. He doesn't strike me as the type of person that could have carried this out. He That's just doesn't. Careful. Yep. Yeah. Watch the mud there. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Okay. Man. His body language was very relaxed, relaxed and kind of non-threatening. But I can definitely, my body feels like I'm carrying a bit of stress from that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. It's a conversation I probably thought I'd never have. What do you think Jim's gonna think of it? Well, my dad used to threaten him. My dad's told him in the past he'd blow his fucking head off. Yeah, I gave him a hug. I was surprised how small he was. Given how small he is now, it gives me an idea of how small he was back then, in 1986, and he is only about 5'8", five 5'9". Five Not a big guy. If that had been him, and my sister back in the day, she would have left him with some distinct injuries because she was tough for a little chick. Like she didn't fight, she didn't go looking for trouble, but I used to wrestle with her. And she was strong for like five feet, 115 pounds, but boy, she was tough. She had good endurance too. Yeah, I'm sure if she had tangled with him back in the day, he would have had marks to show for it, for sure. I'm left with a mix of thoughts in the wake of all my Sumner encounters. On one hand, he seems open and willing to talk and to argue forcefully about his innocence, taking on the various allegations against him. He says he didn't see Carrie that night and didn't take part in any killing, that his car wouldn't have been in the area where Simmons says he saw it and him. But on the other hand, some aspects of Sumner's alibi in the absence of others to back it up, such as his father or the friends who were with him after he dropped Claire Dubé off, seem questionable or at least misremembered. 
passage of time and lack of a transcript and police verification make assessments here speculative. An autopsy report might help figure out the timing of Carrie's death, dispel some rumors about how she was found, and give clues as to number of perpetrators and, as Urbanowski says, victimology. But Trevor's feeling, without completely exonerating him, is that Sumner probably didn't kill Carrie. I won't go out of my way to talk to him. Uh, if I see him or if he comes up to me or something in public, I'll talk to him, sure. I won't seek him out. Trevor and Jim both feel that it's been a necessary and worthwhile Sumner summit, and removing some focus from him helps to bring other evidence and people into view. Did the occupants of the muscle car and the white van that Simmons saw with their lights off leaving the stable road that night have something to do with Carrie's disappearance? What about the red van Max Coombs saw with Saskatchewan plates? The man with curly hair and the terrifying stare in the white van described by Donna Kovic? Or her current husband, the trucker, who says he heard screams the night Carrie was murdered? How many voices did he hear, and what genders? Does Fred Spence, whose ex-girlfriend claims he said, when we killed that white girl in Cree, no more? The two brothers and the man named Eagle, who reportedly had been seen in a white van with an air mattress in it the week before Carrie's murder. Where are they now, and will they come forward to tell us what they were doing the night Carrie disappeared? and the 2 a.m. Friday morning phone call Marnie took from the distraught man who said he had just killed someone. Is he listening now? Will he speak again? If you know something or are one of the people I've been trying to contact, please get in touch. I'll continue investigating Carrie's case for as long as it takes and will provide updates whenever necessary, but for now, this is the end of regular episodes. Stephen Thompson. It's July 2018. I'm on my way over to see Trevor and Jim. I wanted to come up and see Trevor before we broadcast Carrie's Case Season 5. Just touch base. See how he and Jim are doing. And there's Trevor right there, sitting on his porch. It's like I never left. <laughs> How you doing, brother? I'm good. Good to good, see you. Good, good. You all mic'd up or something there? Yeah, yeah. Nice. What, what do you think? What do you drive it? Did they give you this different cheek this time? Trevor likes to call me brother. He likes to laugh hard and speak fast. He's loyal to a cause and to his friends and family and kind to strangers. To me. You want to go in? We going inside? You sure. Trevor is everybody's brother. You have been listening to episode 10, Sumner. 
To catch up on past seasons of Someone Knows Something, visit cbc.ca slash sks. Someone Knows Something is hosted, written, and produced by David Ridgen. The series is mixed by Cecil Fernandez and produced by Chris Oak, Steph Camp, Amal Delich, Eunice Kim, and executive producer Arif Nurani. Additional transcription by Mikal Arana. Fabiola Carletti is our digital producer. Evan Agard is our video producer. Ben Shannon designed our artwork. Tanya Springer is the senior producer for CBC Podcasts. And Leslie Merklinger is the senior director of audio innovation. Thanks to Justin Heinrichs for his shoe print expertise and to Ken Jackson and the APTN for their assistance in this investigation. And special thanks to the researchers at the CBC Reference Library. Original music by David Fetterman. Our theme song is Thompson Girl by The Tragically Hip. I'm Angeline Tedaweo. Thompson Girl, stranded at the unique motel. Thompson Girl, winter fighter shot on the car as well. Looks like Christmas at 55 degrees. This latitude weakens my knees. Thompson Girl.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.